الله أكبر الله أكبر Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Islamic Center at New York University podcast coming to you straight from the heart of New York City. We're building an amazing Muslim community here at ICNYU where everyone is welcomed and respected no matter where you're from or where you're at. This is the place to be. So open your ears and your heart and come along with us on another life-changing journey. Bismillah. كآيات الكتاب المبين إنا أنزلناه قرآنا عربيا لعلكم تعقلون نحن نقص عليك أحسن مقصص بما أوحينا إليك هذا القرآن وإن كنت من قبله لمن الغافلين قال يوسف لعبيه يا أبتي إني رأيت أحد عشر كوكبا والشمس والقمر رأيتهم لي ساجدين أمنا بالله صدق الله so last week, alhamdulillah, we got a chance to take a look at a little bit of an introduction to chapter 12 of the whole Qur'an, which God tells us is the best of stories, Ahsan al-Qasas, the story of Yusuf, Salamullah alayhi. And so just a couple of important insights with regards to sort of Yusuf. Last week we talked about why God presents stories within the whole Qur'an, the reality of stories or the truth or what it is that God wants us to take from stories and anecdotes. And we went through, I think, the first four or five or six verses. But just to recap some of that, as well as give additional insight into the story of Yusuf Chapter 12 of the Holy Quran is the only chapter in which God dedicates to an anecdote from beginning to end that only speaks about him as an individual. If you take a look at other chapters within the Holy Quran, like Surah Al-Asas, for instance, a lot of it mentions the story of Musa, but the entirety is not related or relative to the story of Musa entirely. I mean, the majority of it is, but not entirely. In addition to, it is, um, uh, from, chapter, so from verse number 1 till verse number 111, meaning the entirety of Surah Yusuf, tells us only about the story of Yusuf and that which was related to the story of Yusuf meaning personalities, like that of Yaqub and so on. They're not related to, for instance, the fact that God says that, uh, you know, we send down prophets amongst them or Yusuf and Yaqub, like is mentioned in other ayat of the whole Quran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, for instance, we have sent down different prophets and messengers to it. He'll mention the name of Yusuf in passing, so to say. This chapter, entirely dedicated to speaking to this prophet, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another important point to mention is the context of this chapter. I mentioned to you all last week that Surah Yusuf is revealed in the holy city of Mecca, which is in the earlier part of the prophetic mission of the Messenger Muhammad And perhaps one of the reasons why God mentions the story of Yusuf to the Prophet in the early part of the mission is number one is a response polemically to those who questioned Prophet Muhammad about Yusuf, like I talked about last week. But in addition to that, to offer a sense of consolation to the early Muslims of Mecca. They were going through difficulty, right? They were going through isolation. They were going through, um, you know, poverty. Uh, particularly during the early part of the prophetic mission, 
the Quraysh, a lot of the other tribes, they completely abandoned them. They boycotted them, right, financially and so on, which led to really dire circumstances for a large portion of the, of the, of the Prophet's life, sallallahu alayhi wa in the holy city of Mecca. So as they're going through this, they need some validation. And so they receive this additional divine support from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where God reveals to the Prophet, who then teaches his community in Mecca, that look, there were those who came before us, like that of Yusuf, and they also went through a lot of hardship and difficulty, but see where they became. Yusuf lives a portion of his life in a well, then he's raised as a slave, and then he goes to prison, and so on. But eventually what happens to him? He becomes the king of kings. And don't worry if we are persistent in the midst of this struggle, we will also be awarded, and we will also be given due rank. As I mentioned before, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about Yusuf, that God doesn't waste the good deeds of the believers. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't waste the good deeds of the believers. So be persistent and you will find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will help facilitate, uh, that He will help facilitate for us, inshallah. So there we go. And God says, for instance, in the beginning of the chapter, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alif Lam Ra, Mufruf, where God presents these sort of seemingly random letters. And what is the philosophy? What is the reason why? We talked a little bit about that last week. Amongst them is that God wants us to submit to those who have divine knowledge. So when you don't know, you need to ask those who do know. Uh, ask the people of knowledge if you do not know. And they wanted, meaning God wanted uh, us to submit toward the Messenger Muhammad in order to take instruction in his life. This is amongst the many different uh, interpretations of why God presents these ayat. Tilka ayatul kitab al-mubin. These are the signs of this clear book. We talked about that. Inna anzalnahu Qur'anan arabiyan la'allakum ta'qilun. And then in verse number three, God states, Nahnu naqussu alayka ahsan al-qasas. That surely we recount to you the best of stories. Bima awhayna ilayka hadha al-Qur'an wa in kunta min qadlihi laminan that, O oh, Muhammad, we expose you to this knowledge, we expose you to the story as a gift, as an honor, as a merit for, for you. I want to go back to verse number four and start our discussion here, though we spoke about it briefly last week. For those of you who are following. In, in verse number four, God states, إِذْقَالَ يُوسُفُ لِأَبِيهِ يَا أَبَتِي when Yusuf said to his father, Ya Abati, O oh my father, Inni ra'aytu ahada ashara kawkaba. We talked about last week what it might mean as when, the, when, when Prophet Yusuf, he goes to his father and he says that I saw these planets and the sun and the moon or these stars, how it's interpreted otherwise, frustrating toward me. But before we go into another level of that which we introduced last week, it's important to note the language that God employs towards speaking to this conversation. He states to his father, Yusuf li abihi, ya abati, inni ra'aytu. Surely I saw. He didn't say, surely I might have seen. Surely I had a vision of, 
But he said, certainly I saw. And the beginning of the verse begins, Yusuf, when Yusuf said. Meaning that more likely than not, as is also uh, mentioned amongst many other commentaries of this chapter and of this verse, that seemingly this took place in a conversation between the father and son that was much larger than the son just going to the father telling him, hey, I had a dream, and in this dream I saw X and Y and Z. So a couple of points. Again, let me take one step back. What we learn from this is that Yaob and Yusuf were having a private conversation. And we see and get more insight into this a little while later, right? That Yaob has a special attention that he gives to his son Yusuf. One day, this is a quick parenthesis and certainly relevant to, to these ayat of the whole Quran. It said that one day when Yusuf was very young, as mentioned in our hadith, that um, one of the neighbors of the tribe came to him, came to Yaqub, the father, Jacob. And they said, um, Oh Yaqub, why is it that you give special attention to Yusuf unlike you give to your other children? You know, I get it, Yusuf is very handsome, very beautiful, but why is it that such attention is given to Yusuf? And there are many different theories, right? Amongst them is that, for instance, Yusuf came from another mother, his mother passed away, uh, or that, you know, that they, he was amongst the youngest, he's 11 children, him, and then he had one younger brother named Benjamin, Binyamin. We'll talk about him as we, as we sort of get there, inshallah. But why do you give special attention to Yusuf? And the hadith states that, Yaqub says, I don't just give it because I have intense love for him, but I give it because he's different than everyone else. His righteousness and his piety, even at this young age, is different. So he said, what do you mean? He says, a little while ago, he said, I gave all, one, all of my sons the chicken, and I told them, go and sacrifice this chicken where no one else can see. So he said, they all went out into the desert, and one of them went behind the mountain, one of them went behind the tree, one of them went inside a cave. And they all came back to me with this chicken sacrificed. Yusuf came back a little while later, and he was holding the chicken who was alive in his hand. And I told him, Yaqub was telling Yusuf, he said, my son, I gave you a task to do. I told you to go and kill this chicken, sacrifice it, and bring it back to me. Every one of your brothers did as I told, except for you. And Yusuf responds to his father. He says, oh, my father, but you gave us a prerequisite. What's the prerequisite? That you sacrifice this chicken where no one can see. He said, I went behind the mountain. I went inside the cave. I went behind the tree. Everywhere I looked and everywhere I turned, I realized that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching. Even maybe how old was he at this time? Five, six, eight years old? He has that sense of God consciousness, right? He says, because of his righteousness, I treat him this way. He's an elevated station from this very young age. So over here, seemingly what we get is that they're having these private, intimate conversations between father and son. It's distant from the rest of the family. That surely I saw. Again, not I might have seen, I saw. People come to me all the time and say, I have a dream, Shaykh, can you interpret the dream? No, I cannot interpret your dream. I have no idea what your dreams mean, okay? I had a dream. They say, what type of Shaykh are you? <laughs> first of all, they, first, that's the first question they ask after they ask if I can interpret their dream. First of all, not everyone can interpret dreams. Interpreting dreams has science. 
uh, to talk about that another day. But most people, they said, I think I saw this. I'm pretty sure I saw this. Someone tells me, I saw the prophet in my dream. How do you know that was the prophet in your dream? I just know that that was the prophet in my dream. How do you know that that was the prophet in your dream? He looked like the prophet. Do you know what the prophet looked like? <laughs> Honestly, I saw X and Y and Z in my dream. What is your evidence to state that that is X and Y and Z? No, no, no. You assume that, I'm not, not denying that you might have seen something, but we don't have any firm knowledge to back that up or any evidence to back that up. Last year during Muharram, I gave a talk on dreams. You can find it online. And we'll talk about it as we get to some of the later dreams. But what's really, really, really important is that some dreams undoubtedly are what are known as mubashirat, this, this glad tidings, right, that are given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some people get them, some people they don't. And they get them on the level of piety and righteousness and devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some people, they get dreams because they think about something all the time. If you're thinking about going for hajj, and you think about going for umrah, and you're thinking about visiting the Prophet's grave, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, more likely than not, if you think about it enough, you're going to start dreaming about it. That's not like a good news or glad tidings of something. You've just been thinking about it a lot, right? Famous example is, you know, for instance, if, um, I don't know, this guy, he, passes, he passed away, and um, one day his son was sleeping in, in, in the house, and somebody came and knocked on his door, his neighbor, came and knocked on his door. The son opens the door. He says, what are you coming to me at this time? He said, I saw in my dream that your father came to me in my dream and said that you should give me $100. <laughs> so he said, okay, my father came to me, came to, came to my neighbor in the dream saying that I have to give my neighbor $100. It's my father's instruction. So he goes, he's like, no worries. He brings $100 and he brings another $100. He said, Here's $100 from my father. Here's $100 so you don't have a dream again about, about, about my father, right? You can't, you can't base like, your life around dreams you know, at the end of the day. Anyhow, over here, what we see is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is quoting Yusuf, and he states, Inni ra'aytu, surely I saw, meaning with certainty he's stating, even at his youthful age. Inni ra'aytu ahada, Ashara Kokeba. Kokeba, Kokeb is translated as planet. And as is mentioned in other translations, the stars, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more likely than not refers to stars as a nej or nujum within the whole Quran. Why this differentiation and what does it mean? And we don't have, you know, we don't have 11 planets. Or do we? I don't know, right? Some would state that, you know, maybe this is a sign. There's 11 planets. I can't validate that. Some would say that these 11 are a symbol for the 11 brothers of, uh, of, uh, of you, the, you know, the 11 brothers of Yusuf, alayhi salam. is his father and his mother and so on and so forth. They were all prostrating toward me. And again, we can't speculate. As I said last time, we don't know because this is a dream of a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what's really, really important over here is that God quotes Yusuf when he states, The conjugation of this verb, um, demonstrates that the sun and the moon and these planets have uh, a conscious. Let me give you an example. Let me see how I can how can I explain this. Arabic language is very, very precise. And for those of you who know the language, you'll understand that when we talk about, you know, I saw the 
sun or I saw the moon, you would say ra'aytuha or ra'aytuhu. Because you would refer to the sun and the moon as a thing. As opposed to I refer as opposed to referring to them as a thing that has conscious or an ability to perceive. I realize that that's not particularly accurate and I'm having a hard time explaining this. In summary, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is quoting Yusuf as stating that this sun and this moon and these planets, Ra'aytuhum, they have a conscious which demonstrates that they understood what it was that they were doing. You get what I'm saying? He's saying that the sun prostrated to me, the moon prostrated to me, these planets prostrated to me, and they understood what it was that they were doing in front of me. You follow? What does it mean to prostrate? We talked about this last week. I have no idea. In what way did they prostrate? I don't know. What I do know, again, is that Yusuf has absolute certainty that they demonstrated themselves in a state of submissiveness and servitude to him. Good? Qala ya bunayya. Yusuf is responded to by his father Yaqub. La taqsus ru'yaka ala ikhwatika fayakidu laka kayda. My son, don't tell this dream to your brothers. What happens over here? Yaqub didn't ask what does it mean when you say that they prostrated. What do you are you sure you had this dream? No, he didn't say any of that. What did he say? Don't risk, don't, don't don't tell this to your brothers, meaning that Yaqub understood. Prophet to prophet talk here, right? Instead of you know A B conversation, we gotta see our way out from here, just just for a moment. We don't have the we don't have the capacity to understand, and we submit to that. What we do know is that Yaqub understood his son, and he realizes the son that the father understands as well, and that is sufficient. Follow? Because if they find out, we're gonna be we're gonna be in trouble. As I mentioned last week, some commentators of the Quran they would argue that there is some way, I don't know how many they overheard, I don't know, that the brothers, you know, realized that this that this that this conversation took place, or that there was this secret conversation that took place. And that helped sort of arm them in their ammunition to have more animosity toward Yusuf salam. Some would say. Verse number six got continues. وَكَذَلِكَ يَجْتَبِيكَ رَبُّكَ وَيُعَلِّمُكَ مِنْ تَعْوِيلِ الْأَحَادِ وَيُتِمُّ نِعْمَتَهُ عَلَيْكَ وَعَلَىٰ آلَ يَعْقُوبِ كَمَا أَتَمَّهَا عَلَىٰ أَبَوَيْكَ مِنْ قَبْلِ and that is how your Lord will choose you. What does it mean when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he chooses someone? Of course we're referring to this idea and this notion of prophethood in this regard. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that, O oh Muhammad, well, he's talking to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa that this is how we have chosen you, meaning we've put you through tests, we've put you through trials, we have given you this divine knowledge and inspiration, and we have taught you, we have taught your predecessors, like that of Yusuf, the ability to interpret dreams, 
as we see later on. And we have honored you. We have completed our blessing upon you in the same way that we have completed our blessing upon Jacob and his fathers, Ibrahim and Ishaq. Prophet Ibrahim has two sons. What are their names? Yeah, either one. Ismail or Ishaq. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, guys. Ismail and Ishaq. Ismail and Ishmael and Isaac in biblical tradition, right? Ismail's lineage is who? Who does it end up in? Prophet Muhammad From Ishaq, who, who is Ishaq's lineage? As mentioned within the Quran. Ishaq's lineage is, 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 are the prophets of Bani Israel, right? Ishaq's son through that is Yaqub, Yaqub's son, Yusuf. Over here, what's important to note is that when we talk about Bani Israel, the children of Israel, right, as this entire chapter of the Quran mentioned, Israel is another name for Yaqub. Follow? That's really, really important point, just to, just to share that with you all, right? So when we talk about the children of Israel and these sort of line of Judeo-Biblical prophets, we're talking about those who come from the lineage of Ishaq, Yaqub and his children, okay? Yusuf, Binyamin, Benjamin, and so on and so forth. So over here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling Yusuf, but at the same time offering consul to the Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa وَكَذَلِكَ يَجْتَبِيكَ رَبُّكَ That your Prophet chooses some amongst others. Why? Number one, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the knowledge and the wisdom and the insight to do just that. Which is why He chooses his prophets, and he chooses his messengers, and he chooses his awliya to ascend and toward uh, certain responsibilities. And at the same time, he teaches them, and he gives them certain tools, and he gives them certain merit, and he gives them certain knowledge, and he gives them certain potentials. For Yusuf specifically, he gives them the ability to interpret dreams. How do I get the ability to interpret dreams? Right? It's for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses whom he wishes, so to say. Okay? And then God concludes, God is the all-knowledgeable and he's the all-wise. Sometimes I don't have the capacity to know or you know have the ability to recognize why Allah Azza wa he chose specific prophets over others and raised them in that rank the way that he did. But God's knowledge and God's wisdom is something that we submit to. Good? Very good. In verse number seven. لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي يُوسُفَ وَإِخْوَتِهِ آيَاتٌ لِلسَّائِلِينَ That surely in Joseph and his brothers there are certainly signs for the seekers. I ask you all to read for, for this, uh, this these, these verses, starting with verse number seven for this week. What did anyone get from this one verse before we move on to verse number eight? Anyone catch anything unique about it? In Yusuf and his brothers, 
There are certainly signs for those who ask. Number one, there must have been people asking. We talked about this last week. People come to the Prophet and they say, Oh, Messenger of God. Or for those who didn't believe in his messengership, they would say, Oh, Muhammad, tell us about Yusuf. And then God reveals this chapter of the Quran on one end. Number two, what else? لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي يُوسُفَ وَإِخْوَتِهِ آيَاتٌ There are signs. Why does God say that there are signs in this story? What does it mean when God says there's a sign? It means that there's a lesson, there's insight, there's an opportunity for us to be taken to a destination. A sign takes us to our destination. The story of Yusuf and his brothers are a sign for those seeking a destination. What do we read the Quran for? For guidance. So in this story, and in specifically the life of Yusuf and his brothers, there is guidance for the one who wants it. Good? If qalu la Yusufu wa akhuhu ahabu ila abina minna wa nahnu usbatun inna abana lafi thalabim mubin. Verse number eight. What did we get? And when they said, these brothers, they said, surely Joseph and his brother, who's his brother? Benjamin. His brother? Known as Benjamin. Bin Yamin. They are dearer to our father than the rest of us. And that doesn't make us happy. Surely our father is wrong about this. Jealousy. What do we get from this verse? Anyone want to share what they came up with? Jealousy is a very moving emotion. Jealousy is a what? Very moving emotion. A very moving emotion? <laughs> what else? Yeah. Fight for or like attention from your wanting attention from your parent, like a cry for your wanting attention from maybe, your parents. Maybe potentially, yeah. I, I wonder if, um, I think you mentioned last week that this was also shared with the Prophet, to, you know, this, like this surah to give him solace, you know, because this was a difficult time. I wonder if there is a, like a parallel for him during this time in in the prophet's life where maybe other people were jealous of his selection mm. as the prophet. I don't know if... if that, potentially, yeah. Potentially, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. We mentioned, you know, or as is mentioned within the hadith, that the brothers of... Um, that, 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 excuse me, let me take one step back. That Yaqub, alayhi salam, he had two wives. And his sharia, in his law, you were permitted, as, as is mentioned within our hadith, that back in that day, they were permitted to marry two sisters. Okay, Today, in, in Islamic law, it is impermissible for one man to marry two sisters. Um, back in his, in his law, it was permissible. So he marries one, and then he marries the other uh, with, the, with the permission of their father. And... The majority, the, 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 the eldest brothers, they come from one, uh, one wife, and the latter two, Yusuf and Bini and, and, and Amin, they come from a second. Okay? Some would say that the mother passed away. Some would say that he just gave them due attention because they were younger. We would argue that in addition to that, he gave them due attention because of their piety and because of their righteousness. Whatever it was, that undoubtedly that he showed a sense of extra attention or care, not for no reason. Right? If you go to any parent 
and you tell your parent, which child do you love the most? More, more likely than not, they're going to say that I love all of my children the same. It might be a different form of love, but they were extra protective, um, excuse me, Yahoo was extra protective of these two children. Okay? Again, it could have been the fact that they were just younger. Normally, the child who is younger, there's going to be extra attention to them because they're younger and you want to be careful over their actions and so on and so forth. It's a normal sort of you know, reaction from any parent to their child. But naturally, this does not make the elder brothers happy. So they get really, really upset. They get really, really angry. But what's really, really unique about this verse is the way that it con 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 concludes. Surely our father is making a big mistake. He's totally wrong about this. <laughs> Was he really totally wrong about it? He realizes that his son have this tendency to be jealous, to get angry, which is why he mentions in that earlier conversation with Yusuf, don't tell your brothers, because this is going to mess them up, and Shaytan is going to misguide them. So let's make sure that we're really, really careful. Okay? So he realized that they have the tendency or the potential to fall into serious error, potentially, um, if this anger, this jealousy, this pride, this arrogance, this whatever kind of overtakes them. So what happens? They're sitting amongst themselves and they're saying that, you know, surely, you know, our father loves our two youngest brothers more than he loves us. Our father is totally wrong. Let's come up with a solution. What's the solution? Oh! What we mentioned before. Kill Joseph. Kill Yusuf, or let's exile him. Let's cast him away into a really far land so that we can have what? So that we can have our father's love. That's all that. my father's love. And then thereafter, we can, we can, be, we can be good. We can be righteous. More likely than not, as is demonstrated from the, from the language of the verse, as well as the hadith supported, it was one from amongst them, or a couple from amongst the brothers, with this conspiracy. And they said, let us do this together. Right? I want to do this, but now I'm going to convince all of you to do it. Why? Because when we do something bad, we want to take everyone else down with us. Right? We don't want to be the only one, because we don't like to take responsibility yeah, entirely. We want to pass off responsibility as well. You guys kill Yusuf. This is just my idea, you know, he's saying. Or let's get rid of him. And then after toward the toward the conclusion he states, one of the brothers, and then after that you guys can become righteous. I'm just giving the idea, right? But in reality, this is what he wants. And again, like we said before, like we mentioned earlier, that it's like the nature of the human being to always say, eh, this is just the last thing I'll do, the last sin I'll commit. I'm never going to go back to this ever again. But once we keep that, once we allow for that door to open, right, it's really, really hard to close it. It's really, really hard to close it. And that's why being so careful and so vigilant with our actions and our deeds and our thoughts and our, and our intentions on a day-to-day -day basis is so vital. One small sin and again, open the floodgates and really create you know, a lifetime of, of, of transgression for one fault, for one mistake. But on the flip side, when we have the opportunity to do good, one act of goodness, one act of sincerity, one decision 
can completely transform our life and change us from Fasiqin to Sahihin to someone who's, you know, corruptified, someone who is righteous. All it takes is one. We see this in Karfara with the example of Qur'a'riyahi. I see myself between paradise and hell. I'm not going to accept anything else other than paradise. That's it. He made his decision. Finished. And he was committed to it. On the flip side, there are numerous people. There's a man by the name of Abdullah ibn Dahak al-Mashraqi. He is with Imam al-Hussein on the 10th of Muharram. He traveled with Imam al-Hussein On the day of Ashura, Imam al-Hussein went to the tent of the companions and he saw that no one was there except for this one man. He says, Brother Abdullah, it's time. Time to fight. Time for battle. What does he respond? He says, he says, when I made my pledge of allegiance to you, O Imam, I came with a you know, caveat that if I ever wanted to back out, right, you would give me that permission. He says, it's true. He says, then I'm asking you for permission to leave. I want to go back home. He says, yeah, but, you know, how are you going to get back home? There's 30,000 people who are ready to shed our blood. The city of Kufa is closed up. How are you going to leave? He says, don't worry. That tells the imam to come. And he shows him that he was hiding a horse in the back of the tents. Ready for this moment, he says, I have a whole pathway. Figured out how to get back home. What does the imam say? Go, get out of here. Meaning that he came with the intention to not really commit to it. When you keep the door open from doing good or from allowing for sin to enter, it's so hard. Who is this man? No one knows about him. right? The only thing that we know about this guy is this incident and the fact that he was a historian and narrated so many a tragedy or so many of the events leading up to the day of Ashura, up until the, 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 up until the moment that he left, a lot of what we know about the story of the grandson of the messenger of God is actually narrated by him in a lot of historical records, right? But other than that, what? We look at him and we say, oh, what a, what a sad story. You have the opportunity to sacrifice for the family of the prophet of God, and instead you chose that path. One choice. One sort of Keeping of the door open, so to say. And it has the potential to manifest in that manner. And after this, we will, after this, you can all become righteous again. Really dangerous. To procrastinate. You know, we have a, we have a hadith from the Prophet It says that on the day of judgment, or excuse me, in divine punishment in hell, there's going to be a door that some will enter to, inshallah, we're the people of paradise, so we're just getting, we're getting, we're getting insight in regards to what other people are going to experience, inshallah, not us. That the, the biggest door in the divine inferno is what is known as Bab and Tisweef, the door of the procrastinators, those who say, I will. I will pray. I will seek forgiveness. I will sin. i sorry, I will, I will repent for my sin. I will start fasting. I will go for Hajj. I will give charity. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. That's it. We get lowered into our grave and no more. We don't, we, don't, we don't have the ability to do that. So when you have an opportunity to do good, and you have an opportunity to transform your life, and when you have an opportunity to make the right decision, don't say I will tomorrow. Do it today. Because you don't know if you're going to get the opportunity again tomorrow. How many people said that I will tomorrow? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive all our sins, inshallah. Put us in a path that we'll be able to do immediately.
One of them from amongst this gathering, right? So now the brothers are sitting together, they're conspiring, they're figuring out, should we kill him? Should we exile him? So we can get our father's love for ourselves? One of them stood up and said, wait a minute, I have a good idea. Let's not kill him. He's our brother. We can't do that. It's going to be a problem for us. Let's throw him into a well. And that potentially, when a caravan is passing by, because remember back in that day, you're not going to find, you know, uh, a place to get you know access to food and water like we get it in a rest area when I'm driving to Washington, D.C. or something, right? What you have to do is you have to go towards certain towns and at the center of every town or every city there's going to be a well where you can fill up all of your vessels, where people used to take rest, used to allow for their animals to drink from there and so on and so forth. So over here, you saying, let's put him in the well. Definitely someone is going to save him. So we're going to preserve his life, right? But it's not as bad as killing him or it's not as bad as exiling him that he has no resource that he might die. So let's do this instead and perhaps somebody will come, realize that he's in there, pick him up, and, you know, he'll be saved and that we can live with the non-guilty conscious, so to say. What happens? They said, so what happens at this moment? Then they go to their father. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't mention all of the details. He immediately says that they were then in the presence of their father. And they said, Father, why don't you ever let us, you know, go hang out with Yusuf alone? Why don't you trust us? We're, we're, we're good. We're nice people. <laughs> Sometimes you have to defend yourself so much. It means you're guilty or something. Okay? But God doesn't mention what happens. Seemingly, what we get from this is that, is that, is that they have all agreed to this consent. The consents can, can, they, they all consented. And they said, okay, you know what? We're good. Let's stick to this plan. This is the plan. We're going to take Yusuf, throw him into the well, and that's it. We're done. We're done with him. Or, or Father, what, what's, the, what's the matter? Why don't you trust us with regards to Yusuf? We're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not in opposition to him. We care about him. Let us, let us, let us go and spend time with him. Let, let, us take, let us take him out. Let us go and do some activities with him. Let's play with him, whatever it might be. Arsilhu ma'ana ghadan. Let him go with us tomorrow, and we're going to go and hang out, we're going to go and eat fruits, and we're going to play, and we promise that we're going to take care of him. What do we see? Anyone catch anything in these two verses, 11 or 12? They're trying to give their father the excuse that he's okay with them. Like, he's will be safe with them when, in fact, that's not the case and their father knows better. Right. What happens? We'll stop in this last verse. قَالَ إِنِّي لَيَحْزُنُمِي أَنْ تَبْحَبُوا بِهِ وَأَخَافُوا أَنْ يَأْكُلَهُ الْبَأْفِ وَأَنْتُمْ أَنْهُ غَافِرُونَ It says, it fears me and it makes me grieve. I'm worried that you will take my son away from me. And what does he say after that? He said, and I'm scared that a wolf might eat him. Listen, listen, listen to the words 
of that Yaqub said. This is super important. And I'm scared that a wolf might eat him while you are not paying attention to him. Everyone said, everyone heard? I want you to scroll down. I want you to scroll down to verse number 17. Which verse were we on? 13. 13. Everyone, we'll talk about this next week in detail, but or, or next time in detail. Verse number 17. They come back to their father. They say, oh, our father, we were playing together, and all of a sudden we lost Yusuf for a second, and a wolf ate him. Yaqub already had this impression that that's the excuse that they were also going to give. You follow what I'm saying? And then what, and what do they say after? But dad, you won't believe us anyway. You don't, you, you don't trust us. You get what I'm trying to say? What do we learn from this? And we'll talk about this more in detail next week. What's so incredible, Yaqub told them that this is what's going to be. They literally utilized their father's narrative and they took it for themselves and then they regurgitated it back to him. Right? Because that would be the only thing that their father might accept from them. Number one, could be. Or number two, that Yaqub knew that this is what they were going to respond. Right? That this is what was going to happen. Why did he let them go then? It's a couple of important sort of theological questions. Amongst the responses is that sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, this is not, not um, a theory from amongst many of our theologians. Sometimes that, you, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests his prophets and he tests his messengers. And though they have a perception of reality of that which is going to take place, there is sometimes when he removes their ability to know from them at that given moment. In order to try them, um, and so they, they, that, 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 that vision, so to say, becomes blurred, so they're unable to tell at that moment. So Yaqub is thinking, perhaps, and this is one of the tests that he has to go through, that Yaqub is being tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He has a perception that my son might get eaten by a wolf. But he doesn't know for sure if he should trust his sons or not. But because he sees that he can only judge on the basis of the apparent, we're taught not to jump to conclusions in our tradition, or the fact that Yaqub's vision or his insight is blurred at that moment. So to say he's going through this test or trial from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that he says, okay, fine, you guys can take it. Right? This is amongst one of the reasons, or you know, theological sort of conversations that we discuss when we talk about the infallibility of the prophets and messengers. Anyhow, inshallah, for next week, uh, or, or, or during our next conversation, inshallah, we'll, we'll, we'll start over here once again um, with verse number 13. Uh, and inshallah, we'll, we'll resume from there. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you're inspired by the work that we're doing at the IC and want to help keep it going, subscribe to our podcasts, follow us on social media, donate to help support us at icnyu.org, and most importantly, keep us in your continued du'as. Until next time, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.